Hello, everybody, and welcome to The Sleeper and the Bust. This is episode number 175. I am your host, Nicholas Minix, and joining me uh, in the absence of Eno Saris, who is off to cover more playoff baseball, is Zach Sanders, returning uh, for a second time this offseason. We're del- very delighted to have him. Uh, Zach, how are you doing today? Great. It's good to be here. Yes, excellent. Uh, glad you feel that way as well. <laughs> uh, just... W- Excited to have you back on because, uh, I mean, we talked a little in the first program that you were on about um, valuing players and things of that nature. And we certainly had some questions about um, those things since. And we, we talked about uh, a little bit about the in-the-season rankings, talked about uh, certain types of players as far as keepers and things like that. But, you know, and ended up um, that we, you know, we, we got some questions about uh, your valuation methods and things like that. And certainly, uh, I think... Some folks will appreciate the opportunity for you to kind of respond to those things. And, uh, ba- you know, basically, I guess there's some question as to um, on the on the kind of the, the large scale is uh, maybe having some issue with using uh, Z scores to, in, to help you calculate uh, your player values and things of that nature. And also uh, or and then also some suggestion that uh, SGPs or standings gain points for those who don't know. Uh, and that's the the. Um, Boris McCracken method, if I'm not mistaken. Uh, my base, baseball and fantasy baseball history sometimes get muddled and, and mixed up and uh, gets to the point where I'm, uh, I might be pretty sure that uh, Ver- Babe Ruth is a fantasy baseball scientist. I'm not really sure. Anyway, so, uh, but again, wanted to get into those things and, uh, you know, kind of let you take it from there. I think that, uh, I mean, ultimately, I don't see anything egregious about your fantasy values, but uh, that doesn't mean that uh, I know exactly what I'm talking about. Yeah. Um, I think the importance is to sort of realize the differences and maybe what you're trying to accomplish between standings, gains, points, and the Z-score method. Um, and like you said, SGP is on the older side. It was always used before. And so it's kind of gotten grandfathered in as their way to do things now. But it has a lot of limitations. Um, And because it's essentially just based off your league and the league you're in and, you know, the tendencies of your other owners. If you have that all that information and you can actually say definitively that this is the right answer, that this is going to stay consistent year to year, then it becomes a useful tool when it comes to building your team and roster construction. But even then... It's not that great for when you're looking at individual players, which is the point of, of rankings and these you know, end-of-season values and things like that, is trying to isolate what a one player does sort of in a vacuum so you can apply it to any situation, right? So you know, if you're drafting, right, and all of a sudden you've taken a bunch of home run hitters, and of course the, you know, the vacuum rankings may say that a home run hitter is still highly ranked, but you don't have to worry about it as much, right? And so it's kind of understanding how to use them uh, it's sort of like saying, you know, the Yankees, if they were had, let's say they had a stacked lineup and all of a sudden they go out and sign an all-star, you know, like a three or four win player. It's understanding that, well, they're no longer a three win player because they're not going to play every day. They're in a stacked lineup, such and such. And so saying they're a three win player is sort of like what we're doing with Z-score saying in a vacuum, this is what they can do. Whereas how you apply it is sort of how you can use standing game points. 
Yeah, I think, uh, I mean, that sounds like an excellent explanation to me. <laughs> I, I do agree. I mean, I think um, SGPs, have, there's a certain, I mean, yes, they're, they're very practical for individual leagues. I, I certainly, I mean, years ago when I would calculate my values, and I, I think part of the thing to understand, and the, at least this is my opinion on the matter, is calculating player values is, um, it's not a perfect, it's certainly not a perfect science, at least, especially when you're talking about when you calculate values for projected statistics. Never mind the fact that projected statistics, you know, can include a range of values and things like that. And we can talk all day about that. Um, but I think uh, even in the season values, that's that's pretty precise. Um, but the practical application, as you as you kind of get uh, allude to or, or state, is that uh, the practical application is uh, it's very it can be very league specific. And I think just understanding this the relative distances between the players is uh, is pretty important uh, because. It, yeah, the player is not going to be the exact same value in every single league. Uh, but, I mean, just in general, and this is my experience too, is, is I mean, when anybody talks about uh, at any of the vast website, uh, vast array of websites around the, the interwebs, um, Baseball HQ is a site that I, I worked with for a long time in my career, uh, and they're, they're, they're kind of noteworthy for just kind of simplifying things and saying, like, you know, this player has earned X number of dollars this year. It's a very simple way to look at it, and in the grand scheme of things, that's not necessarily what that player earned in your league. But um, relative to the rest of the players, based purely on the statistics and taking relative distance uh, between his statistics and the, and the overall pool of statistics for the top 260 earning players or whatever it is in your league, that's basically how it's calculated, and and it's... Uh, to me, I don't really see like a, a, a fairer way to go about it, and and that's like I don't I don't use Z scores myself. Like I basically I was, I was explaining to you for the show, like I just use uh, the straight up distances, and I use a um, combination of uh, kind of my own, a little bit modifications and and a, and a method that uh, I learned from uh, Masters Ball is another it's another site that I think uh, I mean I value I they do some great work as well. These are, these are premium websites, so it's not like uh, you can really go out there. I mean, I'm the, I will I will be the first to say Rotographs is one of the great sources of information, um, and uh, I'm incredibly glad to be associated with it. So I don't want to make it sound like I'm creating some sort of rivalry here, but I, I do recommend. Uh, you know, it, it's it's fun to get, <clears throat> and it's valuable to get a lot of different ideas. And anyway, the point being is that. Uh, those things aren't exact sciences, especially when you're looking for application for your own league. Maybe that doesn't answer folks' questions entirely. Maybe they have some sort of issues. I think I think the bottom line is, is that um, to do things on a relative scale, when we talk about end-of-season values and things like that, uh, that's really the simplest way uh, to kind of to kind of go about it. And um, if anybody has, you know, any, any of you out there listening, and you have some. You know, further questions on that, we'd be glad to, to talk about it. I mean, it's it's uh, it's certainly not the kind of the, the be all end all answer of it, but I think um, whether it's a Z score method or just a difference method, uh, I, I think SGPs are kind of really not a solution unless you're talking about your own league. And uh, even then, I think the statistical, la- I mean, we see it every se- I mean, the statistical landscape of any particular league changes so much from season to season that you can't even say that. 
the SGPs are thoroughly reliable information uh, because they're going to change it, especially if you're talking about projected statistics. They're going to change uh, the value uh, going forward. Yeah, I think they're they're sort of there to serve as a good benchmark for year to year, sort of something to keep in the back of your mind. But as far as using it, uh, you know, and more of a micro application on single players, I don't think it's it has much use. It's there mostly just as a thing in the back of your mind to realize that yeah, I'm going to need enough you know enough in each category to move on. And, but as far as single players, no, I don't I don't think it has much worth anymore. Right. Yes. Yeah. As you said, especially when we're talking about individual players, I, I think I like it's it's a great estimator in the grand scheme of things. Um, you may come up with values that are not too far off like I, I think that there are a number of ways you can do it and be imprecise about it and still give you something that kind of you where you come up with calculations and uh that have basically a you know similar outcomes as far as your your dollar valuations uh, but you know we're trying to get precise and, and be very specific about the individual players um just for you know for the purposes of a uh, kind of retroactive analysis and, and also for going forward. And I think kind of the best way to put it, like several years ago when I was trying to improve my methods for calculating dollar values and I was speaking with Ron Chandler of Baseball HQ and I said, you know, can, can you give me some pointers about what you know, may, what I may be missing? And, and like, for instance, I'm, you know, I'm trying to uh, accumulate more data to kind of base my calculations on. And I am using the SGP method and things like that. And he's like, you can't, you can't do that. He said, there are too many different leagues. There are too many. He said, it's all relative. All statistics are relative. And the grand scheme of things, you can only basically, you can only do it relatively speaking between the individual players and kind of, you know, let those results speak for themselves. And it's up to other people to apply them. And, I think that's just kind of the kind of it summed it up for me, and that's where I kind of began to change my method anyway. Um, and anyway, it's it's I think it's an interesting topic to continue to talk about because it's 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 obviously <laughs> obviously no one has perfected the art of uh, player evaluation or anything like that. It's mm-hmm. it's impossible to do. It, it, it's something certainly we may run into better methods down the road, but in the meantime, we do want to talk about also second baseman and. Uh, <clears throat> And uh, at the beginning of this week, you released your uh, rankings as second baseman uh, for the 2014 season. And before I get into discussing any players, this, it, just an opportunity you could maybe even introduce it if you like. But uh, is there anything that struck you about these? It's kind of something we talked about. Oh, and I'm sorry. We talked about catchers, actually, on the first program I mentioned. But uh, just you know, opportunity, again, to, anything about the, the position overall or any particular players that struck you? as some, something that was just kind of odd or um, not odd, just uh, inspiring even <laughs> about the position. <laughs> yeah, I think the big thing I, you can take away from second base this year is that there was a kind of surprising amount of talent at the top of the rankings. Uh, usually we're used to seeing just essentially someone like Cano and, you know, in the past Utley and Pedroia. And then after that, you sort of take a step off. But for the most part this year, outside of Altuve having his otherworldly season, uh, there was quite a good amount of depth with guys like Kinsler and Gordon and Dozier and Cano and Howie Kendrick. Those guys are all sort of in the same tier. And so you had a good chance this year to pick someone up that was going to turn out to be maybe a little bit of a bargain or especially someone you can maybe wait on. And there was, there was some depth this year that we don't always see with second base because it's sometimes, you know, we see it more as a defensive position, but this year there was a little bit of depth there. And it's something I, 
Hopefully he's going to carry over to next year, but you never know as you know players age and some maybe kind of grow up and groom themselves to get in the next stage. And hopefully it continues because remember there's that depth that places like second base. It means you can get you know more value elsewhere, and so you can sort of wait on it. And the more positions you think you can wait on, the better and the more options you're going to have when it comes to draft day. Yeah, uh, I think that's that's what struck me as well as I noticed. I mean, in comparison, it's not fair to you know straight up compare catcher and second base, for instance, or but even uh, first base and second base. Like there there were uh, there were good money earners, uh, basically one through five, even one through ten, uh, and, and even the guys you might consider middle infielders. I mean, there were a number of players that uh, it, it's a it's a kind of a talent-rich position, and certainly there are a couple of players, you know, in this mix that have eligibility elsewhere. We talk about the – also, obviously, we talk about, we've talked about the limitations of, of uh, trying <clears throat> to uh, narrow guys down. For the sake of simplicity, we, we list these guys at their primary positions, but, you know, D. Gordon, sure, you could have played him at shortstop, and that – that matters too, but also that gives you the opportunity. Uh, you know, maybe you have a D Gordon and a you know Brian Dozier because of the way you drafted, or Hend- Howie Kendrick or whatever. So you, there was second base kind of seemed to embellish the pool of money earning possibilities in the middle infield. Certainly, because it, it certainly didn't come from shortstop. I think, and if anything, that's probably why Gordon was a shortstop for a lot of people. But just a. Uh, I was appreciative of the fact, I mean, uh, you know, anytime I ran to the wire in my leagues and I needed a, a middle infield player, I mean, the second base is where I was coming up with it. I mean, uh, that's, and that seems to have kind of been the evolution of the position, uh, in recent years, but, um, it really seemed to, it really seemed to stand out a bit more, at least to me, uh, this year than in past seasons. And maybe that's kind of the way it continued to head as you, as you kind of alluded, maybe it's, you know, maybe it's, something that'll continue and maybe it's something that'll kind of, uh, you know, we'll see a, a gradual shift in another direction. So it's really hard to say, but there's a lot of talent at the position. Um, and speaking of talent at the position, uh, probably a player that's going to be, I think kind of on the tips of some, a lot of tongues going into drafts is, uh, you know, how soon can I pull the trigger on this guy or Colton Wong is something, I mean, somebody you, you mentioned, you know, you were intrigued to talk about. And I think that that's, it's a player we'll, uh, you know, and I covered briefly just in our last episode. I wanted to just say, hey, look, this is a guy we're going to talk about. He's an intriguing player. Uh, he obviously had a, a good postseason, but uh, also had, I mean, he had a really good regular season for a player who was, I mean, he accumulated just over 400 plate appearances. And, uh, I mean, he was clearly not a regular all season. He was he was demoted uh, early in the year and brought him back up. And he's still, I mean, he finished great numbers, uh, 12 home runs, 20 stolen bases, combination of those two things and the bat the batting average is strikingly low i guess at 249 but um that's pretty valuable i mean it made him a i mean it made him a, a money earner well uh well above five bucks uh generally speaking so what is it what is it that either intrigues you or cautions you about Wong, or maybe it's both because i think it's again this is this is fantasy baseball you can be both about <laughs> any player and to any degree really yeah, uh, the weird thing about Wong is he's not really doing what we expect him to do, but he's still performing well. <laughs> you don't usually see it. You know, when if you think of this as a you know short statured for the most part second baseman playing in a in a pitcher's park like St. Louis with a history of essentially low strikeout rates, little bit of walks, 
but a guy who's just going to hit for average for the most part, and that's the opposite of what he did. <laughs> he turned into sort of a little bit of a, a hitter with some pop, and he's really shown that still this postseason, too. It wasn't just during the regular season. So, you know, coming into last year, I would have said, you know, I think he might hit, you know, 270 and hit a couple home runs and steal 20 bases. But, you know, that average drops down to below 250. But the home runs come up and they make up for it. And he turns into more of a, you know, sort of a run producer and RBI producer, which is unexpected. And so that's what's interesting is, do we continue along the trend when we're projecting next year to say, I really think this is a high average guy and that's what he is. Or do we sort of say, well, maybe we were wrong. Maybe for some reason he's going to be a free swinging, you know, uppercut second baseman. And so it's it's that kind of duality with him is what is he? <laughs> we don't even know. And so that's what makes it interesting for next year, especially because you would hope that the Cardinals are going to commit to him right. for a full season next year instead of mixing in Mark Ellis a lot. And so looking forward to next year, I think, is where he's really interesting because, frankly, I just don't know what to expect. And that makes him hard to project and it makes it hard to identify where you can get value from when you go into drafts and so all those things mixed together for a really sort of weird but tantalizing player yeah absolutely i think tan- yeah tantalizing is a great way to describe him i think what concerns me about him never mind the player i mean i look at there are a number of things that go into you know what i'm willing to pay for a player and and one of the things that's going to concern me about wong is the fact that he did what he did and basically roughly two-thirds of a, of a season of a regular uh and so you know people are going to say well, you know extrapolate that and uh and and people love young players and things like that like how 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 much you know quote-unquote hype is there going to be in in terms of his uh fantasy prospects because i mean as we've seen there are a number of fantasy earners uh, it's, you know there were, there were a number of guys who were clear-cut and obvious fantasy earners and there's certainly some op- some uh, some potential for other players to bounce back jason kipnis uh dustin pedroia that these guys may easily get back into double digit earnings again so you don't necessarily need to take um what depending on his you know his draft day prices you don't need to take a chance quote unquote on a guy like wong uh, or risk anything great on him to to continue to put that together uh but he's uh, certainly a tantalizing player nonetheless and then um and so that's that's I think where my primary concern will be is is how much is that um, the anticipation there? How much does that drive up his value? I mean, if somebody is putting him above, uh, you know, the kind of that Neil Walker. Well, in terms of at least where they finish, and thinking of the grand scheme of things, Neil Walker is kind of a fringy top end second, you know, fringy top twelve second baseman uh, who had a really great power season. I mean, he this was the first season that he stayed a little bit more healthy and. Uh, I don't necessarily want to consider him an injury prone player because I think that that's, you know, it's a, it's a, but uh, for the, for the sake of, uh, again, calculations of his playing time, he has missed a little bit of it in every season. Uh, there's a, there are an array of, uh, kind of an array of factors working, uh, here that, uh, that where you don't, anyway, like I said, you don't need to necessarily risk a lot on a Wong, but incredibly intriguing player. What Eno was discussing is that uh, I think that there's some uh, quite a bit of legitimacy to the argument that uh, I mean, I think I think Wong is a little bit in ter- uh, basically in terms of a little bit in b- a body type and type of swing and things like that. Maybe some things that are even a little more scouty that 
there is there is legitimate power in him. Um, I think the ballpark limits the upside of it quite a bit, uh, but but we've seen it. I mean, he hit three homers and three doubles in uh, what probably thirty some, yeah, like about yeah thirty plate appearances in the playoffs. That's uh that's pretty good. <laughs> uh, I mean, you're talking about a slugging percentage well over six hundred. Uh, or somewhere in that range, um, and it, it's a it's a small sample size. These, but basically, he put the power on display. He had some good at bats against left-handed pitchers, and the batting average, I guess, is what is as you said, is basically come into question. Is that going to come back up? Um, I, I I still view him as a guy that has that as a tool, but maybe uh, also kind of in in the, the context of. Uh, baseball as a whole, or like you know, the the league wide batting average is around 250. That maybe it doesn't really matter a whole lot. And if this is a guy that is at least going to give me 10 home runs, I, you know, I would I'm, I can't say I would project him for too many more than that. His steamer projection. Tell me what what do you, what strikes you about his steamer projection? Because basically, you know, Eno says he looks at the upside uh, as, um, you know, potentially a handful more homers than, and uh, you know, stolen bases. That's I, I find it hard to believe that the Cardinals are willing to let any player run that often. Um, but he stole more, ba- you know, he stole 20 bases in less playing time than he did in, in any of his stops in the minor leagues when he stole 20 and 21. But uh, you know, 20 stolen bases is on the table, uh, no matter what the playing time. Uh, basically, it, it tends to be steamer projection is 579 plate appearances, which playing time again it's it's going to be at risk i think the cardinals are pretty committed to this player they seem to be kind of enamored with him i've i've read or even seen like on telecast that that's that seems to be the idea that they put out there they really like the player and that's uh, they've made this mental commitment to him long term as long as his performance doesn't screw that up and when when the cardinals are dead set on a player to me like they'll give him every benefit of the doubt they'll continue to give him a chance and if he you know Say even they send him down, it may only be for a couple few weeks, and he's right back up. Like they think that, you know, that's the kind of. Whereas if it's a guy like uh, Oscar Tavares, has obviously not yet convinced them. Where I think they're still, and I don't, I don't. This is not compare the two cases, but Tavares to me is a case where uh, I'm not going to put him in the Colby Rasmus class, but you know, we're talking about three distinct cases for the players, but you saw how they handled Rasmus. Eventually he was kind of run off. And I'm not saying that by any means that's what's going to happen to Tavares. Uh, but like it, Tavares still has some things to work on. Whereas Wong, they were convinced was ready to help them at the major league level, maybe needs some fine tuning. And uh, he's going to, I think he's going to, he's already earned the, he's already earned the faith where he's going to continue to get that benefit of the doubt because of what he offers. And he's probably really not that far from, being a reliable player if he isn't already but uh Tavares has not yet earned that status and so that puts his playing time more at risk so the the risk of Wong's playing time is really probably not that great in my eyes but anyway steamer projection in that playing time 12 home runs 20 stolen bases it's exactly what he did this past season in about 160 fewer plate appearance or 140 fewer player plate appearances 145 150 and but about higher batting average, uh, about 15 points higher, 264. What do you, what views what what how does the steamer projection strike you? And is that a player that um, do you think that the market will allow you to pursue? I think steamers uh, is pretty fair in this case. It may be 
a little bit conservative, but in most cases, you know, it, that's it's not going to pay. Yeah, you know, it's not going to pay to overvalue upside. Right. Um, I have him hitting a few more home runs next year, uh, probably more like in the 14-15 range. But like you said, the 20 stolen bases seems about right, even in expanded playing time. They don't. It's hard to see them running in more. They just don't have the history of that. And so, yeah, and I think the batting average will come up. Um, I think the interesting thing when you look at a steamer projection for him is that they see a, a pretty large drop in strikeouts as well as a, you know, a BABIP increase. So they see it coming from both ways, which is a good sign because it means you're not just relying on one thing to raise a batting average. Mm-hmm. Um, but, yeah, I think he'll be, you know, batting average 260. Uh, maybe if things go right and he starts to put it all together, 270. Uh, like I said, 14 home runs, about 20 stolen bases. And yeah, I, I, he's going to play every day. I think, especially after the postseason, you show, especially like an organization like the Cardinals that values that kind of clutch hitting and, and playing a certain way, that you show you can do it on the big stage in the playoffs. I think he's got the trust from here on out. And as long as he just isn't pretty much a disaster, I think he, he, he earns <laughs> the spot in the lineup. And, and it's also because they don't really have other options. Yeah, that's... It's not like a Tavares where they have a Greer Chuck or they have a Borjo sitting around and things like that. I mean, unless they're willing to play a guy like Daniel DeCauso every day over him, which they've done before and I think they figured out it doesn't work. Right. <laughs> uh, unless they're willing to do that, they're not going to have a guy like Mike Ellis around anymore. And so unless you see them this offseason bring in a veteran middle infielder, uh, that they're just going to hand over the keys and say, it's up to you, you drive, you're the guy. And you know, He was a first-round pick for a reason. He, even at the time he was a first-round pick, it was said that he was going to be a fast riser. You know, he, he was only 23 this year. So there's still plenty of room for growth, and they see that. And I think, like you said, they're willing to hand it over and tell him to go. Yeah, I think that's um, that's a pretty fair way to look. I think what's uh, what is interesting to me is, like, and I, that's something I was about to check, is something that struck me. Like, he, he hit left-handers pretty well this season. And did not, especially so right-handers, and that obviously, I mean, he's a left-handed hitter. That would, I mean, that strikes me as, I mean, it's a results thing. It's one season, so there's, there's not necessarily a, a whole lot of, to look into it. But I wanted to look at his minor league results, and that's something that's uh, that'll that may factor into. I mean, is that kind of historically has he hit right-handers well, and you know, and also how has he hit left-handers? Because, I mean, I don't think he's at risk of being a platoon player, at least not yet, but. Uh, basically, I want to know is you know is that kind of something that drives up my optimism for rebound and batting average? Where I could I could you know it's feasible that you look at him as you project him for say a two sixty four batting average and say but look he's got the upside to hit two eighty or better uh, easily. Not like I mean certainly that's within the range because batting average fluctuates pretty easily, especially for certain types of players. Some guys are really consistent. Um, and some guys really make it difficult on themselves to be anything close to consistent. Uh, and Wong, I'm not sure where he, where he he really fits. Uh, he might be a little bit in between. But he hit he hit uh, over 300 against left-handers. He, I think he faced him less than 100 in less than 100 plate appearances. And right-handers, he hit around 230 against them. That cer- certainly conventional wisdom says, oh, he's going to hit better against right-handers. And so that alone think makes you think that he's going the batting average should come up, but how, you know, how, how many left-handers is he going to face and how well is he going to continue to do against those? That'll factor in a little bit overall, just a very intriguing player. I do think, yeah, I, I buy into the fact that I think that long, you know, long over the long haul, we're looking at a player that has, he packs a little bit more, more power than I expected. And I think, didn't he, if I'm not mistaken, I think like uh, he didn't hit his first home run until 
like close to the all-star break, like 200 some plate appearances, maybe more into this season. Like there, there was something that was kind of a topic in the news. Something, something else I'd like to look up, but is, you know, he didn't hit that first home run until well into the season. And then all of a sudden he started rattling them off. He hit like five in the span of a couple of weeks or something like that. And obviously right. ended up with 12. So, um, the power is there. Uh, I mean, I, I might think that there's more power there, and especially for a player that had no little to no experience prior prior to when he started to take off in that category. Like if he had spread those out over the course of the season, I might say, okay, that's kind of that's probably you know he's probably closer to his ceiling. This is not again not necessarily mathematical or statistical or sound logic, but the fact that he could bunch them up and he he performed well in the postseason uh, clearly. I mean, he, you know, quote unquote, he kind of. It took him a while to find the power stroke, and, and leads me also to believe that there's a little bit more upside there than uh, than I perhaps initially realized. And uh, just it's, it's a very just he's a very intriguing player. It really is. The only thing that's going to concern me is how 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 much does he intrigue everyone else? Because if it's intrigue beyond uh, beyond intrigue, beyond just saying, "Hey, look, uh, I'm willing to pay you know top somebody on this guy because there's upside and uh, I'll pay 10, 12, 15 dollars, whatever is kind of appropriate in your league uh, to top somebody versus um, I'm going to pay for the upside now. Because you started getting paying, playing uh, when you pay for the upside, obviously, and as you, you kind of said, uh, that's when you get into danger and where you, you could easily find other options that maybe you don't even have to pay for as much. And uh, anyway, just very intriguing. Say, uh, let me uh, fifteen team mixed league. What could you envision paying for him? Well, you know, considering what he earned this year, which was um, in standard leagues, which was about six dollars. Uh, you kind of, you know, extrapolate it out, space out the league. And I could see going up to 15 on him in the right scenario. Yeah. Uh, he wouldn't be a guy that I'd want to pay 15 for. I'd like to come in spending about 10 on him and walking away feeling good. <laughs> but if if it comes later in the draft, let's say, and, you know, you're saying, wow, you know, I'm not sure about these other second basemen. He's the guy that has the upside. And I think, I mean, what we saw this year might be the downside. Yeah, and when the downside is a five dollar player, you can walk away and say, you know what, I'll put down fifteen and we'll see what happens because he's young and he has that kind of potential. Yeah, yeah, I think that's that's pretty that's a pretty good way to look at it for sure. Uh, obviously, turns out, despite the fact the way I've uh, droned on about Wong, he's not the only second baseman. Um, there are, uh, for instance, something I wanted to get into. I alluded to D Gordon. Obviously, you also mentioned Jose Altuve. He was a top five overall earning. And according to your calculations, a, a you know basically the third most valuable position player um, for the season. And this may not even seem like an apt comparison at first, but I wanted to talk about Gordon versus Altuve, or just to, in, in essence, both of these players well far exceeded expectations. Altuve was a player that basically was drafted everywhere and went for you know in some cases double digit dollars. I mean that happened it depends on the league. Certainly in AL only leagues he went for probably you know, fifteen upwards of fifteen dollars. Uh, Gordon was a player that most people picked up off the wire or took a, a, a an end game flyer on. Um, but relatively speaking, which of these players do you think is kind of more uh, likely? And I I wrote on Altuve and I think that this is I I, I I'm not sure how. I don't want to say controversial, but I'm not sure how controversially I don't I can't think of another word to describe right now. But uh, how to view Altuve as far as you know how much um, 
how how much are people going to be on one side or the other as far as the fence is concerned with Altuve, as far as his ability to retain the kind of gains that he made? Um, but and Gordon is a player that could be pretty polarizing. That's probably what, what he, pretty polarizing as well. But which of these players do you think is likelier to retain the type of gains that he made? And I think I mean I know how I feel. I, I think Altuve is kind of easily the guy, and that's but. I haven't looked deeply into Gordon myself, first of all. Um, but second of all, I know the reasons that I think so. And I also know the reasons I think so about Altuve. So I'm pretty confident about it. But which player do you think and, and which, uh, I mean, in the grand scheme of things, people are going to play more for Altuve probably than for Gordon. But uh, maybe it gets into a case where we could say even which of these players would you rather have next season? Yeah, I agree with your assessment there. I think Altuve is, is sort of the safer bet to stay at a high level. Um and a part of it is just because we've seen him in a way building up to it. It it came it, you know it came out of nowhere in, a, in some sense, but at least we've seen him you know put up thirty stolen bases and hit two eighty for two seasons in a row. Mm-hmm. And you know that and that was he was twenty two and twenty three, and so that's what sort of impre- makes an impression on me. And then you can sort of look at it the way of. He's going to be a safer bet for batting average simply because he's going to strike out less. Uh, when So that makes you uh, less reliant on a BABIP issue or things like that. And he's also got a little, you know, he's a really small guy, of course, but he's got a little more pop than a guy like Gordon does. Gordon's essentially just going to be a slap hitter right. who's going to use his speed. Well, Tudor is actually going to hit doubles, a couple triples, hit maybe 10 home runs on a good year. Uh, and you're just not going to see that from a guy like Gordon. So the overall package with Altuve is just so much more robust and safe. Where Gordon, if for some reason he's striking out a bit too much like he did earlier in his career, or let's say he's just not getting necessarily like the luck or the the fortune when he's hitting the ball in play, he just comes down to, well, he's a speed guy and that's about it. Where Altuve, you have a better chance of overall numbers. Uh, many of those overall numbers aren't great. Like I say, he's, you know, 10 home runs is probably... The, the ceiling, uh, but he's just going to do a little bit more, and that's going to factor into the other categories. Because when you're more likely to do those things, it it it, it rolls over, and so it's the entire package. I think it just makes him a much safer bet. Yeah, yeah, I I definitely I definitely agree. As far you know, relatively speaking, I, I think it's I think it's even hard to argue. Uh, it's pretty hard to argue that Altuve is not the safer guy to look at. Um, I mean, he's. He's pretty clearly he's he's going to cost more than Gordon next season. Gordon, what's impressive? This is this is kind of the way I view. I mean, first of all, I just want to say like a, like I said, I blogged on Altuve this week, and to me, I mean, the issue is not part of the issue is whether you think you know how much of the gains that he made this season do you think he'll retain? I mean, it's kind of always it's it's with any players evaluate the player and then also evaluate which is not. I mean, I think it's it's which one is easier to do, and neither of them are easy per se. Is that uh, you're also evaluating kind of what is the temperature? What is, what do people think of Altuve as well? Because if most people think that the gains aren't for real, then uh, it's, you know it's a player you may want to invest in more. Whereas if everybody's oh my gosh, I love Al- Jose Altuve, he's my hero. He's only five five, and he hits two, he hits three forty, and all this other stuff. I mean. Some people think like that uh, to simplify it kind of. And, you know, if everybody's willing to pay $30 for Jose Altuve, then, you know, I'm probably not going to pay $30 for Jose Altuve. I can tell you that. And I and I like him. And I liked him. I like him a lot more this week than I did in any previous week in my life. 
Um, <laughs> he's, but uh, I, I really encourage. Um, I mean, I've gotten some comments on the blog I wrote. Just that that's what it's more about. Is also, it's I think it's going to be more about taking the temperature of it for me because, I yeah, I expect a little regression, but I think that's it. I don't I, I don't expect a lot of regression. Uh, I think, and, and for those who, I mean, I received some comments on the blog saying uh, that blog saying, hey, you know, one or two of them just took some serious umbrage with it, and just, I you know, I think you're crazy if you think that he's going to be basically to sum up. And I apologize if I misquote your feelings, um, but <laughs> that, you know, he's certainly not going to be anywhere near this level again next season. And if uh, I encourage you to pay it for him, because that means I'll get to spend my money elsewhere. And that's 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 certainly fair to say. I mean, nobody knows. But um, I, I encourage you to read the three blogs uh, that I mentioned in the blog from Mike Petriello, Jeff Sullivan, August Fagerstrom. Uh, that uh, that they wrote earlier this season. A couple of them came down even in September. Um, that this is a player that looks quite a bit to me. And again, like these these are these went a long way to convincing me that the kind of changes that Altuve made coming into the season and throughout this season really legitimize that he is. I think he has moved his baseline performance to a, an entirely new level. And I think if you can believe that, then you're willing to pay more for that player because the floor is a lot lower. So I think that that's ultimately what it comes down to is, you know, the floor and the mean performance and what you think even the upside is. And I think that he has moved all that stuff up and that and that matters a great deal. Whereas Gordon is it's hard. It's harder to have reliability uh, to have more faith. in. But Gordon is a similar type player in that like the Dodgers worked. I mean, this is something that's interesting to be about him. The Dodgers worked extensively with him on learning how to get on base that was you know their primary concern because they they i don't i mean i think credit due to the dodgers for working so extensively with him and seeing what a weapon he could be uh even though they had for instance they had signed alex guerrero they could have just kind of i mean the dodgers continue to invest in their resources even after um they spend their resources elsewhere it's like they're not just satisfied with hey we signed this guy uh, so we're plugging him in and let's forget about the rest, but they work extensively with Gordon on how to get on base and specifically, uh, how to bunt effectively and how to slap the ball effectively. And, and, uh, and, in some cases, you know, basically you see how teams are aligning against you and, and try to drive the ball uh, in certain directions and things like that. And, I mean, when he came up, I thought this is a guy that's going to be overpowered. It's just, he's not going to get the job done. But I think that they have, they have done a lot of these things to, um, to, I mean, to help him succeed. Certainly, he's. I, I think that they have helped him get to the point where I think his his strikeout rate is manageable, where he may not hit for that type of average, but 260-ish, 270-ish is still plenty enough. I don't view him as a as entirely like a Willie Tavares type, but the downside may be like Willie Tavares, who totally fell off the face of the earth after a couple of pretty good seasons. Like that's certainly that's certainly on the table, um, uh, but. I think the main question for me, whereas like Altuve, we have a lot of literature uh, and, you know, the news versus noise argument that always comes up. Uh, but Altuve, there's a lot of there's a lot of backing that suggests that uh, basically to me, at least that the meat performance has gone up, whereas Gordon's I'm not as confident in. And I need to see I want to see like evidence that Gordon is continued because I don't think that these are things that are he's going to maintain habitually yet. 
Like these are things that I need to continue continue to see evidence. Does he accept? Is he kind of complacent with where he is? Does, does he continue to work on those skills? Because I don't think that they'd be necessarily second nature to him. I guess what I'm trying to say, like Altuve is a player who has basically made these things second nature, and I don't think Gordon is that type of player because they they alter the Dodgers. I think had more to do with altering the type of player Gordon is than uh, the Astros did with molding the type of player that Altuve is. So. Anyway, that's that's kind of how I view it. I think both players are obviously huge weapons in terms of stolen bases, and you know, just, I mean, Gordon is one-dimensional for better or for uh, for lack of a better way of putting it. So, both intriguing commodity in, in the great. Okay, so and let me ask you in a mixed league. Let's see, uh, and what did these two players earn again? Uh, Altuve was around thirty-five bucks, well, thirty-six basically, and Gordon was twenty-five, twenty-six. Uh, coming in next season, would you rather have Gordon at ten bucks? Oh, oh, well, let's see. Yeah, Gordon at um, in a in a mixed league, and, and I'm going to say, I know uh, we're kind of putting in the context of Wong, but in in uh, in in a 15 team mixed league, uh, Gordon for 15 bucks or Altuve for 20 bucks. Which one would you rather have? Well, I think Altuve is the easy bet there. Okay. Uh, at 20. And I think Altuve, you know, Gordon will sort of settle in at a certain number, of course. But like you said, I think Altuve may be, despite having, you know, a little more of a baseline performance, uh, he may be the more fluctuating guy because it comes down to with a guy that if you actually truly believe that what he did this year is real, first off, and that you can say that if you believe that a guy like that truly is, like the numbers suggest they are, a top five fantasy player overall, are you willing to invest at like a top five pick or a top or first round pick and essentially a base stealer? And I mean, and that's it's not an easy question to answer because it's something that we've pretty much never done before. Mm-hmm. You know, Jose Reyes has been that guy a little bit uh, when he was in his prime. But even then, he was hitting double-digit home runs. Uh, And so that's sort of the interesting question where I think it's going to come up is that just by nature of the type of player Altuve is, he could be considered undervalued. Just because people aren't – you don't want to pay for the type of player he is as opposed to a guy who's going to hit more home runs in that first round, a guy like Cano who could pop a few more out. Uh, And so that's where I think his value is going to come in, not necessarily from – People who don't believe in it or whatnot, it's just going to be the, his player type, I think, is going to uh, distinguish him as the guy that is going to be undervalued over a guy like Gordon. Yeah, that, I think that's an excellent point. And I think also, I was realizing here that my uh, my quandary I presented is probably not even, it's, pro, it's a no contest one. So let me ask you, uh, D. Gordon at 15 bucks or Altuve at 25 bucks? Then are you starting to are you starting to waver at all? Or are you still in, like I would still pick Altuve, but I don't want that to influence you at all. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I'd take Altuve. Um, let's say you know Gordon stays at fifteen. I'd probably take Altuve all the way up to about thirty at that situation, just because you know he was worth ten dollars more this year, and the more you kind of spread the league out in a fifteen-team mix compared to what we look at in our rankings, which is twelve teams, the more you kind of spread those stats out the more that the top guys become more and more valuable. And so it becomes kind of more exponential in that sense. Yeah. And so that's why, yeah, like I said, Altuve, I'd go up to, in a 15-teamer, I'd go up to 30 as opposed to uh, Gordon 15. And 
And I think that's when you start to get in the quandary of what you'd rather do is the is the 15 versus the 30. Right. But yeah, anything where it's just like a $10 difference, I think Altuve is definitely the guy to go with. Okay. Now, here's – and for folks who get any tired of this debate, uh, I apologize. But I think that this is an interesting aspect of it and it's just something that occurred to me to bring up. Because I think this is – I think this is really – uh, a large part of what makes it and not even for the debate between the two players, but just Altuve specifically is like, you, what made me think of this is, as you were saying, like Altuve is that type of player. He's a base dealer, but it's been a while since we viewed any player as like a source of batting average, like a true, like a, a difference maker in the batting average category. We've kind of learned uh, or been taught or whatever, however you want to put it. Like there's no such thing as, you know, to some degree, you don't really want to pay for batting average. Like, Eno talks about, he, like he, he buys, like he prefers low strikeout guys and guys who are going to hit for average. Uh, and there's some value in that as well. But like a player, like a, and I think like, this is, um, August figures from one of the bloggers that I, uh, linked to, I mean, one of the bloggers from Fangrass who wrote his article about a two he makes, not even really a comp, but just like I mean, I think it's a fair comp to make in terms of for fantasy value. The last I, one of the last players I could think of that also kind of meant this to fantasy owners was Ichiro. Ichiro was a guy who hit three twenty to three forty, and you bought that. Like nobody buys a player like that anymore. You know what I mean? There's no like because of the in, in terms of the context of the league, um, you know, offense is down. Batting average is not something that's entirely reliable, and things like that. But, like, I, I'm, I'm convinced pretty well. Like, I'm not 100% convinced, but I'm, I don't know, 75, 80% convinced that Altuve is a guy who is that type of batting average asset. That, and that sounds, you know, that sounds ludicrous maybe to some people, but I think that he's a guy that you know, three, like, his steamer projection is like a 300 average. Like, I think that's. I think that's pretty conservative, and um, the you know the prospect of him easily hitting say a three twenty. Like I think he has all the tools in place, just like Ichiro did. Other than the fact that Ichiro was a left-handed hitter and Altuve is a right-handed hitter, and that you know there's going to factor in like some milliseconds there as far as the mm-hmm. differences go. But in the grand scheme of things, I think that there there's a very real possibility that Altuve is that type type of potential batting average asset kind of the way Ichiro was. And that is, that adds a totally different element. And if if you can consider him that, then you can also consider him. I mean, that's, you know, ultimately a lot of this stuff is also built on is like, that means that, uh, the, that more stolen bases still are in play and things like that. Like he's still a legitimate threat to steal 40, 45 or 50. And, and, uh, some comments you mentioned the fact that he had lost a few pounds in the previous season. And so maybe that helped him speed wise and things like that. Like, uh, and, and those things are kind of in quants- you sh- those things that you start to get just into the margins. But you know, grand scheme of things, if this is a guy with a new baseline, is he a two? If he's a if he's a three twenty baseline type player, and not the three forty, but still, that's three twenty is legitimate. That's a difference making batting average in this climate. Mm-hmm. Do you? I mean, do do you think that's legitimate possibility? And does that change kind of? I mean, is that is that even feasible anymore to go after a batting average asset in this fantasy baseball climate? Yeah, I think it's feasible. It's just, like you said, it's becoming increasingly rare. But when it becomes more rare, that means it's you know it's going to become more valuable. Mm-hmm. Uh, to me, I mean, if you look at, you know, if you want to really get statistical and stuff, you can say there was maybe, 
uh, you could say maybe three or four guys who could essentially help you carry batting average this year. Mm -hmm. And that was Altuve, that was Victor Martinez, and you can make the argument for Michael Brantley. Mm -hmm. Pretty much is the three. Uh, just th and because it's important to note that where they're hitting in the lineup, uh, the more times they come up to bat, the more that batting average weighs on your teams because mm -hmm. it is based off your team's total at bats. It doesn't take an average of the batting averages. And so that's where he can really carry because he's going to hit the top of the lineup and he's going to hit for the high average. And so I don't know if he's going to hit 320 next year. Um, I do think 300, like Steamer says, is on the low side. I have him around 310, 315. Okay. Um, and when he's at that level, he can't carry batting average like he did this year. Right. And so it's going to drop a little bit from his value. Maybe it drops three, four dollars. But he's still one of those guys that's going to be in that category like Victor and Brantley and Beltre on a little bit of a on the lower side was. I mean, those are the guys that if you're looking for batting average, and when you take a guy that can essentially carry a category, and you know what's his not mentioning, and of course that Altuve can also sort of carry steals for you mm -hmm. as well. That just makes it so much easier when you're drafting later. Uh, necessarily, you know, from a statistical standpoint, but from an ease of mind standpoint, it's, you know, I don't have to worry about these for a little bit. I can take a chance on a big bopper who may not have the average because I know that Altuve can help bring the average up for my team. It's just making your life a little bit easier. And, and that, in a certain sense, is worth paying for. Mm -hmm. Just the knowledge that it becomes easier to draft later. I have more options. I'm not as limited in what I have to do in the later rounds. I can take more chances, things like that. And that's worth paying for because you're paying essentially for that stability. Yeah, because I mean, we, we talked about on past programs, different, different, I mean, there are a number of players that you could consider $1 players who might hit 20 home runs, but they're going to hit 220 or 240 or whatever it is. But you don't. I mean, you wouldn't even mind stockpiling players like that in your kind of, you know, in your end game and reserve round. I mean, I, I, I tend not to mind stockpiling players like that anyway. But then you're just, I mean, yeah, it, it can change. It changes the way you approach the end game uh, or in the middle rounds. I mean, it changes a lot of things. I think, it, I mean, ultimately what it comes down to with a player like Altuve, as it does with any player who kind of has a quote-unquote breakout season or a just a season that deviates largely from his mean performance of past, is that... Um, you know, is he, you can, you, I mean, you can lose your draft in the, uh, you know, kind of in the early rounds, but you can't really win it. I mean, that's kind of the, the maxim about, and, and, you know, has Altuve truly earned that spot up there or has he not? And, and I, I mean, I, t basically I tend to, be, I tend to be a person who thinks that player hasn't done it before. I mean, probably 95 times out of a hundred, I skip those players, but Altuve is, I, 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 Altuve has made one of those five cases in the hundred to me, basically that I think that he is one of those types. I'm not going to pay that top dollar. I'm not going to pay for what he did this past season, but I think as long as most other people, as long as you know, roughly half the population isn't willing to pay that as well. I mean, I I, I could view. I mean, I, I I would pay a top fifty or top forty price for him, top thirty maybe even, and just because I do I. I'm kind of a believer. Like I think whatever I would pay in a pass for Ichiro, I didn't often end up with Ichiro, but there were times that I ended up with Ichiro, and that was you know kind of in his prime performance fantasy seasons. Uh, there were times that I ended up with Ichiro, and I think that uh, I mean he was he was a valuable buy. So I mean I think it's there's every bit as much, and and I mean even if Altuve is a right-handed batter, he's also a second baseman. That's better than being an outfielder. <laughs> so yeah. Um, anyway. Uh, 
it's a very intriguing case. I mean, there's there's certainly some less intriguing cases. Uh, I mean, I'd like to think Jason Kipnis's season was. I mean, I chalk a lot of it up to health, and then also read some things like he put on some weight and attempts to add some power and things like that, and that plan seemed to have backfired. And now the Indians they want to. I'm. I mean, I'll be bullish. I. I. Without even investigating Kipnis, I expect to be bullish on Kipnis. I believe that all the talents there, uh, and you know, the Indians have him focus on a program that's going to get back to kind of slimming down and focusing more on agility and things like that. And that I think that I think those I think that is going to be much more important in moving forward in, in the baseball, in the real world baseball, in terms of players staying healthy um, and performing more at their levels. Like I think players who who beef up and things like that, that's going to, I mean for an array of reasons that we've kind of probably already seen, um, that's just less, it's just less, um, uh, less reliable and less valuable, less important, um, than being on the field and being at your peak performance level and having the energy and things like that to do. And I, I mean, I'm going to be bullish on a player like Kipnis. What will I pay for? I'm not really sure yet, but like, I like a player like Kipnis, but is there any, you know, is there anything that concerns you about him that you say, yeah, you know what? I'm not even sure I would, uh, I like him. Maybe there's something I'm missing as far because like I haven't really looked too much into Kipnis yet. You you've done some projections already and things like that. Is there any you know anything that concerns you about him? No, uh, not so much. Um, you know, this year was certainly disappointing, and no one's going to argue that. But like you said, I I chalk it up more to injury. I think that was sort of just holding him back, especially from uh, you know a hitting perspective. And you know he still stole 22 bags as a guy that essentially was was having trouble swinging the bat yeah and he only hit 240 he still got on base and over he can steal 22 bases where he can be a positive earner and so you know maybe the future for him isn't seeing a growth in home runs you know he was at 14 then 17 and then of course this year the drop off to six so maybe he isn't expecting to see a growth up to 20 home runs maybe he's best off and this is what the indians maybe are trying to hammer into him when you hit 15 homers you can steal 30 bags and you hit you know 265 up to 280 in that range i think that's sort of where he's best off as a player instead of trying to like bulk up and be a power guy he just it's not necessarily his game right and so i think once he if they can get him to understand that if that's even the case i think he's got all the tools to be that guy where if he's gonna hit 14 15 home runs he's gonna steal 25 to 30 bases his batting average won't be amazing but it'll be fine and he's going to be in a lineup that's that's pretty good for the most part. And so when you add all those things together, you know that's a top five, top seven second baseman when everything's coming together. And he's at least you know he's not hurting you in any category. That's huge, and that's a guy you rely on. Yeah, I, I still view him like this is where I think to me like other than kind of age factors, I generally view players as they're largely the same type unless they go through some kind of change. In a season like a, and Altuve has, for me, he has changed his baseline performance level. Kipnis is not for me because, I mean, I'm I'm pairing some news, uh, which may, be, I mean, it, it could easily be noise at this point until we see some physical manifestations of what the Indians are talking about, and, and until we see some evidence of it. Basically, it is just noise, but um, I'm pairing that with my expectations. Basically, you know, but. Kipnis is still basically the same type of baseline player for me. He's maybe just after peak uh, in terms of age. I mean, he is already. There's not really any more upside, but the but the upside slash kind of baseline performance level of a normal healthy Jason Kipnis is still really good. And is I mean, that's a reason people were think people were saying that he was going to be easily the top earning second baseman. I think last year he was 
if I'm not mistaken, maybe he was like the second best earning second baseman or something like that. And people thought he was going to overtake Robinson Cano this year and da 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 yada. I don't really view him as that much different of a player, but because per- perception, uh, widespread perception based on one down season is going to drive the price down. Like I envision me owning Kipnis in a lot of leagues uh, or uh, in, in at least a couple, because I, I can't assume that I'll be in a lot of leagues, but <laughs> like that's, that's kind of the way I view it. And that's like, yeah, it's, uh, that's, It'll be interesting to see. I mean, like uh, recency bias seems to have a huge. I mean, it always it, it it has a huge effect on things, and and or it has a huge effect on perception. So, I think that's something that's probably one of the biggest things that uh, that's really difficult to grasp is that because, I mean, runs and RBIs and things like that. Those are secondary. I've I've often thought about just doing my projections and completely canceling those categories because they're so largely team dependent. It's like I want stolen bases and I want home runs because that's what the player does. Um, uh, largely on his own and uh, ba- you know based on his physical ability and the other things kind of fall into place even though they matter and they they count for dollar value earned as well um, because you know if I can put the other three categories together uh, then I, I have a, a much better idea of where those other things are going to fall because they're they're kind of secondary and that's like that you know uh, Altuve uh, Speaking of like Altuve, that's what's interesting to me about. I mean, he had a career high in RBIs, and maybe that's where actually the fallout is. But like, I mean, he scored only eighty five runs, but he scored eighty runs two seasons before that, and and one of those kind of average or regular seasons you were talking about. So, how much better the Astros going to be? Who knows? They're at least a little better. Um, but in the team context, Altuve is not. I mean, you know, other things in those categories they kind of fall into place more so than the player dictates them. Um, a player I think is interesting, uh, maybe a little, maybe a little interesting. And in but uh, and this is a player Mike Podhorzer wrote on this week. It is an interesting piece. It basically, just talks about how I mean we're we're kind of seeing the decline of Benzoverst. Um, and I think uh, I mean his power has declined. Uh, and, and Mike kind of alluded to the fact that it, it, it seems uh, some of the data suggests to him at least that. Um, the, the kind of the underlying numbers suggest that uh, his power results declined more so than the underlying numbers did. And so like you, uh, he's might still be kind of a 15 home run player. Um, and I, I think that's, I think that's Jimmy worth talking about because when you get into the context of the rest of the second baseman, uh, basically he's kind of uh, Colton Wong <laughs> uh, and maybe without even a little, uh, maybe without uh, some stolen bases, but like, uh, Zobris was also always kind of this top 100 or better fantasy commodity. And now I think, I mean, the shine is worn off. He is on the wrong side of 30 at this point. There's no, you know, and, um, but, uh, you know, what kind of eligibility is that, 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 that certainly helps his value, I, I think. But, uh, considering that, uh, I mean, if he does, if he weren't to have shortstop eligibility, I think that would really kill him. What, uh, what 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 do you see from Zobris? Or is there something about him maybe that uh, will may even be missing that he's you know is uh, is is does, is it going to get worse? Yeah, I don't think it's necessarily going to get worse, um, but it doesn't mean, of course, it's going to get better. Right. Uh, I think the important thing to realize is that 
even if you think he's going to be better than he was last uh, this last year and kind of the year before, pretty remarkably similar seasons, mm-hmm. that he is going to be a year older. He's going to be in his age 34 season. And, yeah. you know, he had a little bit of a late start, so that's why it's kind of hard to necessarily reconcile that. But so that's just it. I think, I think he can stay about the same as he did last year. I think he's been, I mean, pretty consistent in a lot of ways. Uh, you know, batting average essentially has been almost exactly 270 the last four years. You know, uh, stolen bases have declined, but last couple of years it's been since you're getting 10 homers, 10 steals. Mm-hmm. And so I think he's sort of still that safer back end second baseman. Uh, yeah, like you said, I think the losing shortstop would really hurt him. But even as a back end second baseman, there's value there. I mean, he was worth, we had him at $12 this year as a second baseman without that shortstop eligibility really coming into play. Mm-hmm. And so I think if you're willing to spend ten dollars on him, I think it's it's a pretty safe ten dollars. It's not he's not going to excite you. He's not going to win you your league in any way. He's just going to guy say, "I need to fill this hole now. I don't want to have a black hole here. I don't really want to take a chance. I want to sort of know what I'm getting." And that's what you get with him. You're going to get about a two seventy average. You're going to get a pretty much low double digits in the counting stats. And then he's going to be, you know, he's on a decent team, so the you know runs in RBI should be okay. But yeah, he's just—he's never going to blow you away anymore. He doesn't have those breakout years in him. But he's a guy that you—you you have to—you have to take. He'll be probably not in the waiver wire in any league because he'll get drafted. And so if you want him, you have to pony up the eight to ten bucks. And uh, it—it's likely an eight to ten I'd be willing to pay if I need a second baseman. Yeah, yeah, I think that's a fair way to look at him. I think, <clears throat> like I look at it, uh, it's kind of—it—it strikes me as probably a little similar to the way Brandon Phillips kind of fell off. Uh, and now Phillips doesn't hasn't really even provided the speed. Uh, he's you know maybe barely a double digit home, which actually is probably more damning in terms of uh, related to Phillips because he plays in a much better ballpark for hitters. I think and one thing um, Mike didn't really talk about, not to degrade, uh, not degrading. I mean, I think it was it was a good piece, but I think like uh, one thing to think about too is like he's saying like he's probably still going to hit kind of in the middle of a lineup, like. Um, I think this is uh, it's an option year coming up for the Rays, and I mean he's been talked about as a trade commodity, and in, in basically in the last year or so, there are a lot of changes going on in Tampa Bay. It seems like a very good chance. There seems like a very good chance that uh, the Rays uh, will will trade Zobrist, um, or or that he won't be there. I, I think, or, or they won't pick up the option. Uh, and that they'll let him test the market because it's not a play. I mean, I think, um, and I'm not, but I'm not sure exactly on the financials. So, yeah, I mean, it's, uh, it's not certainly not written in stone, but, uh, it, it this is a transit uh, franchise and transition with Andrew Friedman going to LA. Uh, they brought in Nick Franklin. I don't think they're ready to trust Nick Franklin with a, a middle infield position. Certainly not yet. Uh, and maybe that, that factors in as well. Uh, it's going to be, it's going to depend on how they can approach their depth and things like that. But, um, it's, it's not necessarily a certainty that, and I think, uh, I read an interesting piece, um, on the Rays just as a whole and about the fact that the, the Rays are a franchise in transition or that you know, maybe they're even kind of on the downswing here and that it's kind of hard to reconcile that because we're used now we're used to the Rays as a team that managed really well on the, really well in the margins and of course always maximized value in terms of their payroll and things like that that 
this is a team that may not really be that good anymore in the coming seasons, that the pitching is kind of slowly on the decline. Their farm system has actually really kind of been downgraded quite a bit in the last couple of seasons. It's not a great farm system anymore. There are a lot of question marks as far going forward, and maybe that Freeman got out at the right time. Uh, I forget. It was a Sports on Earth piece. I forget who wrote it, uh, but a yeah, very well-known baseball writer. Oh, no, it was uh, Jim Callis from Baseball America. So this is um, – I think that's some stuff to keep in mind as far as just and just the raise as a whole, like that we if you kind of buy into this, that it, it may be time to start getting used to the idea that uh, that the rays are not necessarily the great slowly becoming not necessarily the great source of maximized value. And I think that that's going to affect kind of how we look at things fantasy wise, too. But if Zobra sends up somewhere else um on a team with a better lineup, he's not necessarily a central piece to them, that maybe he's more of a six or seven hitter. Uh, and that changes, of course, that limits his RBI opportunity. In the grand scheme of things, maybe the six or seven hitter on, uh, I don't know, say the Tigers or Red Sox or somebody, uh, I'm not saying that's where he's going to end up, but say he ends up there versus uh, you know the, the three or four hitter or five hitter or whatever he's been, basically where he's been hitting with Tampa Bay. It may be basically the same <laughs> uh, as as far as the Rays are concerned because it was not a great offensive team anymore. Uh, and so maybe that kind of uh, dis- uh, kind of uh, mitigates that. But uh, I think it's something to keep in mind. And just in general, I think it's, it was just something uh, the piece struck me. something to keep in mind in general about the Rays and maybe how we look at some of their players going forward. Um, but... Uh, so some young players, I think, that are make the position particularly intriguing. We could talk about Jed Jerko. I don't think there's a whole lot to really discuss. It was the other guy, uh, the other guy I blogged on so far this week. But uh, Rugnet Odor, I think, is a player that uh, is particularly intriguing. I also want to talk a little bit about Jonathan Scope because uh, these are two particularly intriguing players, and especially Odor was basically Texas' top prospect coming into the season, and because of need, he was. You know, they had little other choice but to end up playing him as a regular by the second half of the season. Uh, how much do you view maybe that he benefits? I mean, how how much do you view his playing time as a as a as kind of a safe thing next season? Because obviously there are a number of names coming back into the fold, and then also, I mean, how does this benefit him perhaps in the long term? What are we looking at? Yeah, I think his playing time is is pretty safe for next year, uh, just with what we've seen as sort of. Uh, a physical calamity that uh, Jerickson Profar has become where they're really not going to rely on him anymore. You can't, you can't really say that he was a, he is a player of our future at this position just because who knows he's ever even going to play a game again at this rate. Um, and so then you get look at a guy like Odor and yeah, you guys like said he was rushed. He had not had a single at bat in triple a. Uh, he was coming straight double a. This is an age 20 season. So really, really super young. And he, he held his own, and I think that tells a lot. He may not have thrived, but at least he didn't suck. That is quite a compliment, as much as yeah. it doesn't sound like one. That is <laughs> it's quite a compliment. And I think that's sort of what's important. I think they will see him as you know, a starting second baseman next year, and like sort of like the Rays, the Rangers could become a team in transition, um, especially after the really poor performance and – they're they're not locked. They have a couple of deals they're sort of locked into, but other than that, they have some flexibility. And so, it, you could see a guy like Odor. Essentially, they just hand him over the keys and say, "You're the second baseman now." We, you know, Kinsler's gone. We don't. We can't trust Profar to play right now. 
So you're the guy, and you know he's not going to do anything spectacular next season. Uh, I, you know, he'd be a little better than he was this year, as he's just from simple age and getting used to the league and the level. But I, he's the guy that's going to be their second baseman, and I don't really see, especially for at least the first half of the year, he's the second baseman. I don't see a guy like Profar coming back and probably taking until, that. Yeah, yeah, and probably until the All Star break or even even maybe the trade deadline. Uh, until then, I think it's Odor's job to lose and and even if he does lose it there really is no other option for them so it's sort of through thick and thin it's going to be up to him to play second base for the rangers that's and so what do you uh, i guess and then the question becomes this is anything that i mean i like him as a player he's probably i mean he probably deserves to be drafted in you know at least deep mix i mean he he should be drafted in deep mix league i'm sure but like you know the question becomes what kind of upside is there like when they did this with elvis andrus they brought him i mean that was by choice but they promoted him they i think i think he skipped triple a as well and you know some some folks kind of wondered is you know are they but on the on the plus side from the Rangers' perspective, they have the opportunity once all their guys are healthy, and in theory they stay that way, that Odor uh, kind of hits at the bottom of the lineup, kind of the way they did with Leonis Martin, uh, and more so with El Andrus when they again that was a voluntary thing they brought him up, but they basically stuck him at the li- at the bottom of the lineup to begin his career for the first couple of seasons basically. Um, but in essence, it's it's easy to hide a guy. There's no pressure on him to perform. It's basically, hey, continue to learn from your bats, et cetera. But what kind of upside do you think there is? Because we know, like, Odor didn't run very much at all. Uh, we know that he has some pop, but and it's not quite Colton Wong-type pop. He is a smaller guy, but, uh, I mean, he's kind of a little more like a stick. Uh, <laughs> and so, I mean, but there's, there's certainly legitimate upside here. Like, where would you I – mean, to me, it's like – Steamer projection has me not very interested, uh, and that's that's partially playing time driven. So that's it's not entirely. Fair. But like 324 plate appearances, uh, seven home runs, nine stolen bases. Like I could even seeing his playing time being stretched, and the and the the counting stats not driven up a great deal. But do you view the upside as much greater this early in his career, or is this something that's going to be gradual? This is, I mean, this is where I feel like I'm not familiar enough with the player to say I even I have a great deal of confidence to say one way or another. Yeah, I've always seen him as more of a a better like real life player as opposed to a fancy one. Okay, uh, but I don't think it's there next year. I think we start looking at him in 2016 uh, because even in 2016 he'll be 22, uh, and so we're still that's just it. It's, it's crazy really, to think about. <laughs> yeah, he's he is super young uh, for the level for being in the majors, and so next year I suspect even more growing pains. But you know the continued development. But like he was a top prospect, he has the pedigree. They do seem to really believe in him, and you know he has the ability to play the position, and to at least play it functionally at a young level. And so yeah, I think I think not next year. I don't think 2015 is really the year you're going to want to own him. But I think with, once we get a better read on him next year, and sort of a better read on the team as a whole, and especially on on what Profar is doing health wise and where they envision him. We'll get a much better view of what Odor can be for 2016, and so even in like a keeper league, if you're trying to stash him, I'm not even sure he's worthy of that anymore, uh, or at least right now, because I don't think, you know, necessarily the power upside's there yet. I don't think the stolen base upside's there yet. I think for the most part, in the next couple of years, you're looking at mostly an empty batting average, 
and even the average may not be there, as we saw last year, hitting about 260. So it's it's not even a guy I'd stash right now unless I'm in you know a deep right yeah I was going to say 15 team AL only league where you know yeah yeah you have you have to have a starting second baseman of course you're going to have him or you're in a deep mixed league where you see him as a guy for the future and you have him for like a dollar and you know increments of a dollar going up for the next couple of years that seems like a fair price and a fair risk to pay but outside of that you don't want him to you're never really going to consider him the guy that. I'm willing to hand the position over to him on my team at second base as far as a fancy owner. It's just not that kind of guy yet. Yeah, yeah, I think it makes sense. Like, I, I, uh, I mean, I think what kind of what you're saying, too, like, uh, in a in a league where, um, you know, these kind of keep five, keep ten scenarios, I mean, he's not, he's not, it, it doesn't seem like he's anywhere close to being one of those type of players. So, like, viewing him as that type of stash, I mean, it's like you're basically – and keep 15 even like he's he's still a guy who's like probably not going to be in your keepers <laughs> so like you're basically viewing him as a year-to-year asset even though he's so young and he has this prospect quote-unquote prospect pedigree and all this stuff and there's upside there like he still might be quite a distance from being in your keeper pool uh de- and it depends on your keeper league rules so but yeah i think that that seems pretty fair to me i think that that's he's it's like a really intriguing player, but I'm not quite, I mean, that's, and it's kind of, and maybe we, maybe we almost never hit that point with Elvis Andrews. I mean, but that's kind of the way you could view Elvis Andrews. I mean, he is a really good real life player. He had a bad season this year, but, um, he's, you know, he's a really nice asset, but it's not necessarily been a super strong fantasy asset. And it's never really, I mean, he hasn't, he was, he was a player who was supposed to develop some power even more. So I think, uh, maybe get to double digits and home runs, and and certainly we know he can steal bases. Uh, but um, at the time, even I mean, he was considered he's he's still a good defensive player, I believe. I'm not I haven't looked at the metrics for this year yet on him and that, but he's anyway he's he's a good real life player, and maybe I kind of view Odor as kind of following that similar type of path, at least in terms of development, so that it seems like a really slow thing. Um, sorry, go ahead. You were going to say. Yeah, uh, I think the big difference is that at least Andrews had that one sort of standout skill yeah. when he was young. Come, if he had that speed, and so at least you could when you drafted a guy like him, you say, I'm hoping for stolen bases, and he hits for a decent average. Odor just doesn't have that. He's going to become more of that well-rounded second baseman, I think, when he's more when he's a couple years down the road from now, and you know the fifteen maybe it's fifteen homers and steals twenty bags. Mm-hmm. A couple years from now, we'll hit you know two seventy. So more of that well-rounded asset, where at least you knew with Andrus that I'm going to get some speed from him, and hopefully the package is enough where he's worth playing. But at least he was worth a shot in that case. Uh, where like you said, I don't think Odor is is there yet. But I think a couple years from now, we'll be talking about him as as a guy to really look for. Because he has that pedigree and he's going to put up well-rounded numbers. And he's not going to be the sexy name, but he'll be kind of the funny name, I guess, because of his name. <laughs> but, uh, but yeah, he'll be he'll be on the list a couple years from now. But, yeah, it's, it's just not time yet. Yeah. Very cool, very cool. Uh, okay, so tell me, what do you think about Scope? I mean, obviously, some power, no batting average this season. Uh, but he was still <laughs> – uh, I mean, he, he still uh, – basically, he was he was not far from earning money. Um, I mean, where do you view that going from? I mean, is there, is there, does the batting average go up? I'm not really sure it does. I think there's some issues with the, the strikeouts that are going to become 
problematic, and they always sort of have been. That's always been the issue with him in the last couple of years. He is he young. Through level. Yeah. I guess that's where it leads is that do the strikeouts get better too? I mean, sorry, go ahead. I mean, that's – Yeah. I think over the years, of course, they will. But uh, as far as you – know, especially when you watch him in something like the postseason, you can see that he's just swinging. He, he wants to hit the ball and try to hit it a long way. Mm-hmm. And sometimes it works, sometimes it doesn't. Uh, it just could be a guy that the strikeouts are a little too much, uh, especially next year. Uh, I think he really needs to sort of learn how to be a complete hitter mm-hmm. as opposed to the, I, the guy that says, I'm a big guy, I want to try to hit home runs. Because that's going to lead to strikeouts. It's going to lead to a lower BABIP and things like that where it's just not going to put the packs together, especially when he, he's not a walker. Right now, he doesn't seem to want to take take pitches and work a walk. And so when you're doing that, your batting average becomes your lifeline. And when he's sort of ignoring that by just trying to become a power hitter, it doesn't really mesh well. Uh, But he'll be uh, probably he may earn a dollar next year just because he'll they think they'll give him the rope at second base to play most of the year. And he'll hit for enough power that at that position, it'll be really interesting to see. But as far as someone that I'm drafting with the intention of starting or the, even the hope of starting, uh, he's not there for me. Okay. Like I, I view him as a guy that I would be pretty happy to take a run on as a middle infielder in a mixed league for say. And definitely, I mean, definitely in an AL only league. I mean, that's, you know, there's, there's no question about that. But yeah, it's, it's hard to, it's hard to say that he, he's a very, he's going to be a very unreliable player to buy next season i think that's um it's the type of thing like you said i mean it seems he doesn't seem to have come anywhere close to developing kind of a a plan at the plate on a consistent basis and and maybe that comes with an off season um of no you know of going into a year kind of knowing that you're going to have a job i mean sometimes there's things come about and, and they work you know players work extensively on those things as far as their approach and he certainly i mean He's not yet at a. Uh, he's he's I, I, you know the strikeout rate will get better. It may not necessarily get better next season, but like we know that kind of that's the the path that strikeout rate takes. He's before the peak in terms of low strikeout rate, so we know that it should get better. But um, it it's it's a very high risk commodity. I, I guess the question. I mean, the Orioles do have alternatives. We know that none of them are everyday type players, at least on the roster right now. But uh, he is he is such an intriguing player because of the power. Um, it'd be interesting to see how much people think. I mean, he's a lot of people. Uh, I mean, there's there's like pockets of people in the fantasy baseball community have always you know, kind of observed this. There are certain people that really like scope, and so it, uh, it you know it only takes up it only takes one or two players, one or two people in your draft to try to beat you to. Uh, or more so in your auction uh, to drive up his price on you. So like if there's, it's kind of like one of those things, if people are paying for more upside than is likely to come or paying for more likelihood than, uh, than, than there actually is. I mean, and there's really no way to know what that's going to look like until you start drafting. But uh, scope is there. There's some upside definitely in the power department, but uh, I mean, somebody who knows, I mean, I, Maybe I'm totally off the mark here, but somebody might be willing to pay 15 bucks for him in an AO only league, and that's way too rich for me. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'd say yeah, AO only. I wouldn't pay more than probably like five. 
Okay. Uh, looking at mixed league, he's a dollar. If I'm in the mood, having a good day, maybe I maybe I spend two on him and top a guy. But <laughs> I, for for next year, I just don't see it. And like he'll I only top. be 23. But yeah, yeah. I could see paying. Well, and like uh, the league, I can speak from experience in AOL. Like uh, Eno and I play uh, have played in, or drafted in AOL or even against each other. Uh, and like I could see myself paying ten bucks for scope and i mean that's a, i don't know the uh, kind of the depth of all these leagues are you know they're going to be different over but uh, ale labor has a standard 23 man starting roster and then like the has six bench players and like i could see you know so you have the second base uh, shortstop and uh, middle infield and i could see myself paying 10 bucks for scope to be my middle infielder but that's, I mean, and just in that rough area, but that's, that's, a, it is a dicey proposition. I'm not saying that that's, and I may change that viewpoint totally based on, I mean, a number of things. And, and once I would get deeper into evaluations, he's, he is an intriguing player, but there's a lot of risk that comes with him. Um, any of the, like, any of these kind of, uh, I mean, these low end guys, I mean, we're, we're, you know, we're getting into the, uh, AL only and NL only types like the Scooter Jeanette's uh, of the world. I mean, he's clearly a platoon player, uh, right? Is he? But he's even a mixed league player. We've seen it. Like especially, he's like Jeanette is a great player to have like in a head-to-head league or a like a daily lineup. Like you don't need you don't need daily or you don't need uh, yet yeah, daily ads and drops. But uh, if you can change your lineups daily, like Jeanette is such a great asset in those leagues, especially. But he's even. Like, if you stuck Jeanette in your lineup every day this season and lost the days that he had off, he still turned in a decent earning season. <laughs> yeah, mean, he was $7. Yeah. <laughs> like, that strikes me as something like, like, like is, that, is that something you see going forward? I mean, obviously that's, I mean, I, I, think, I, I guess I view it as, I mean, that seems like a possibility because he hits right hander so well. I think that we have almost enough data to say we can say that confidently that, I mean, he might not be a 300 hitter every season, but a 280 or something like that, as long as he's consistently deployed in that manner. Is that like, is he, do you think he's a safe, is he a, like a, but he, I don't think he's ever going to cost that much because people know he's a, he's a part-time player. Like, is he a guy that you would target as a $1 player in a mixed league is your middle infielder? Oh, oh, for sure. I would, I would love to have him for that kind of price as a middle infielder, because I think there's sort of that undervaluing of a platoon player in this case. You know, okay. when, when you're a platoon player that hits left-handed, you're going to play most of the time, right? Uh, just because of the way it works out. But you can, once you under, if you understand that the guy is a platoon player and know that you have to have a backup on the roster, that position becomes more valuable, because you know you may have to play four dollars for because people just don't want to have to worry about it so you get a guy for Jeanette four or five bucks and even if you played him every day and lost the talent like we said it's worth seven bucks this year mm-hmm. and so you then add in of course what you're going to get if you actually target the correct you know platoon replacement form or a guy that just happens to play on different days things like that uh, it can really up a value and i think that's something that it's hard to put a correct value on because the guy you're you know, for most cases, the guy you're replacing him with is a guy that's going to be like a replacement level talent as far as fantasy goes. So he's not going to be a true earner in that sense. But it's like when you had Nelson Cruz a couple years ago. When I'd have people, I'd know a couple owners in my leagues that would draft him every year because they said, I'm willing to have those 400 at bats <laughs> and replace for someone else 
for the next 200 mm-hmm. uh, when he's hurt because it's just worth so much in those in that short amount of time that I can add on to it later. And so as long as you're willing to do that, and the question with Jeanette, of course, is are you willing to have a bench second baseman to platoon, a bench middle infielder to right. platoon? Because it's not exactly a, a key position. So that's where it comes down to. If you're willing to do it and spend a bench spot on a platoon middle infielder, then he has the value is more than even that seven dollars. Uh, but in that, in most cases, you're just not going to do it. You'd ra- I'd rather have an extra starting pitcher on my roster or an extra outfielder in that case, things like that, where it's just hard to necessarily reconcile or find a second baseman to play with him that you're happy with later in the draft or you know even later with another dollar or two. To find that correct balance with him and someone else isn't easy. And so that's where the problems come in. But if you're willing to do it, he's got more value than even we can sort of quantify. Yeah, that's, I think that's an interesting way to look at it. I mean, and yeah, it's, it's the dynamics change. If, if, you're in a, if you're in a league with three bench spots, it's pretty impractical, it seems, to do that. Well, it is. I mean, it is impractical to do that. But in a league with six or seven bench spots, it's pretty practical. And somewhere in between, you know, it's kind of you, you play it. It depends and you play it by ear. But uh, he's I mean, I, I, I didn't I, if I found it hard of him to, to think of him, I think, coming into the season like that. But uh, I mean, I'm kind of a believer in the sense, Yeah, that he might be an undervalued commodity because of the platoon. I think what's I mean, that kind of gets to the root of something it. It isn't quite as obvious at second base, but second plate, second base is a position that a lot of teams platoon at because that's why you see a lot of guys. I mean, obviously you have some guys who have gone up and down, injured and things like that, but a lot of guys come up with 300 to 450 plate appearances at second base. Uh, we're in a we're in a day and age. I mean, teams are slowly trying to find more flexibility on their rosters. They're playing players at different positions. I mean, we're slowly evolving that way that maybe. You know, so roster construction is a little, is a little less rigid than it, than it was, say, a decade ago and more. Like that, uh, players are not necessarily locks to play every day. We don't like is. I mean, the platoon thing is not necessarily huge downside. Like, there's no, there's not necessarily huge downside, especially because it, I mean, they're playing against the the the, the handedness that they're likely to, likelier to hit better. You know, in the left-handed hitter's case, like that they're going to play regularly. So, like that's. Or they're going to play more often. Like, but I mean, it seems to me that we're in a day and age where, like, even talking about the platoon thing as like to say, like, oh, he's a platoon player. Like, that's that's like, well, can you give me a better reason besides that that he's not like a good low end value commodity? Because otherwise, like, I mean, there's a lot of guys who are going to end up with about the same number of played appearances as he is. Yeah, I think there's there's something to be said too of. What would happen if they didn't platoon him? Let's say they played a guy like Gannett every day. Well, then all of a sudden, you're getting a lower batting average from that position. Uh, you may get a couple more runs and RBIs, but if the guy's ineffective against a certain hitter, against a certain pitcher, I'd almost rather just not have him in the lineup. Right. He's going to hurt my batting average for sure. He's less likely to get a home run or a stolen base or runs and RBIs. And so I'd rather have the opportunity, to, if I choose, to put someone in there or just say, you know what? I don't care. I'm willing to take what he gives me in, in his platoon time. And so that's the op- that's the trade-off is would you rather have the guy really struggle for a quarter of the season or a fifth of the season? Or would you rather him just sit out and take and take the zeros that are going to come with it? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think – I mean and I think just 
just in general, the playing time thing, it's like maybe that even kind of pushes up the value in the sense of like it makes me a little more willing to pay for a top end guy. Like there are a distinct number of guys, um, you could say they're, you know, Neil Walker, uh, Howie Kendrick, Cano, Dozier probably. I mean, Gordon is a separate issue, but like and Ian Kensler and Jose Altuve, like those guys are everyday players. Then you have down like Jason Kipnis. Um, I mean, probably Brand Phillips, but he's not like he's not that exciting anymore. But like a Kipnis and a, and a, and a Pedroia, who are you know these guys are still everyday players, and so like uh, otherwise you have a pool of guys who are going to get 400 plate appearances, and then it's just a question of you know how how much confidence do you have in the, in the players we're talking about being everyday players, um, getting that, uh, or, st- you know, staying healthy and maintaining the kind of skills level that they've been at or getting better, uh, which ones do you think are getting worse? But maybe that just puts an emphasis on, um, it kind of, it emphasizes like I'm willing to, I might be willing to pay a little bit at second base, even though it seems like a deep position. Um, if I'm getting the right everyday player or otherwise, um, and just in general, I think in, in the league and fantasy baseball too, that, uh, the platoon thing is really not that big a deal. Like, uh, I don't mind that the team is going to platoon my guy because he's probably wasn't going to get that. You know, there are a lot of guys who weren't going to get as uh, going to get about the same number of plate appearances anyway. And, uh, again, like it, like you said, it's benefiting his bottom line in terms of his overall performance anyway. So it's not a, that really big deal. Um, in terms of like, a and not only like it's uh, I mean it seems like in terms of the Giants, um, they seem to be basically I mean, you know we'll kind of wrap up with a couple of not so exciting commodities, but uh, and don't really have to touch on them. Like I, I like Joe Panic; he's an interesting commodity. I think he's kind of on the same level in terms of Colton Wong with the Cardinals. He's with that. He, I think he's kind of earned that position with the Giants to the point where they it's a player that they really like, and unless he totally bombs. He's going to be with them pretty much as a regular, uh, but obviously there's not. In terms of like, don't get me wrong, he doesn't have any kind of upside like Wong does in terms of the counting stats. But like, is like he strikes me as a guy that I'd be happy to pay a regular's price for in an NL only league as like this boring player um, who's going to who's going to rack up just counting stats and kind of be overlooked as a possible guy. I mean, he might not be over, might not be overlooked because of the you know, kind of the attention he's going to get at this point. But um, is there anything that concerns you about panic? I mean, he seems to bring all the skills that just say reliable everyday guy who's going to hit, you know, fewer than 10 home runs and steal fewer than 10 bases and is not going to intrigue anybody. I see probably going to hit fewer than five home runs and steal five, fewer than five bases. <laughs> so, but I mean, that has value. Like that's $10 in a dental only league if he gets 600 plate appearances to me. Yeah, and in the only leagues, he becomes much more valuable, of course. Uh, just, you know, because in those leagues, of course, you're just looking for guys that are going to play every day because you have to just fill out the roster with them. But in mixed leagues, he's what I refer to as a plug-and-play guy, Yeah, which is put him on hurt, your bench. Are you hurting for a body? <laughs> yeah, he's, he's on your bench or he's on the wire. Plug him in because he's not going to hurt your batting average at least. He'll get a couple runs and RBIs and call it good. Uh, the only thing with him, of course, is you prefer like I if I'm getting a plug and play guy, 
Like my best examples in the past have been guys like Scudero and Jamie Carroll mm-hmm. because they can play both infield positions and they yeah. can fill multiple spots for me. But with Panic just only playing second base, it yeah, kind of limits his value in that way. That's a great point because, yeah, given like what we talked about with the depth of second base, that does change. I mean, he's – yeah, he's – because of this, what seems like the depth of second base in, in mixed leagues, he basically becomes completely uninteresting, it seems like. <laughs> yeah. Uh, sorry, sorry, Joe Panic. Well, and, and like the Braves, situ- at least in an NL only league, because I don't think the Braves situation at second base is going to come up for mixed leaguers. At least, at at best, kind of like that plug and play situation you were talking about. But Tommy Lestell and Phil Gosselin, because Gosselin started to take playing time from Lestell as the season wore on, like even against right-handed pitchers, which surprised me a little bit. But this still looks like it projects to me to be a platoon. Where, I mean, I don't know if the Braves have the luxury of that, so. Factor that in, maybe that uh, becomes. But like Lestella, left-handed hitter, Gosselin, right-handed hitter, they seem to be both pretty boring in terms of. I mean, not quite the same kind of skill sets. But Lestella is a guy who can get on base. He takes the walk. I think Gosselin is a guy who walks a little less often and strikes out a little more. Yeah. So, and there, and neither of them has any power or speed to speak of, really. Uh, maybe Lestella offers a little. Maybe a little bit of hope and speed. I don't know. I don't. I don't. I, don't, I guess there's, there's not really upside in, in, for either of them in terms of those. Like, what what do you look at? Is this preliminary look at NL only? Like, do you chase one of these guys, or do you even try to like pair them up? Like, is this a? Do you think you could buy this kind of combo? Um, I guess maybe that's that's not really practical in an NL league. But would you you know would you buy either one of these guys, or would you just kind of go with the the you know kind of the low end assumptions and pay like you know more than a couple of bucks for either of them in an NL only league? I'd, I'd pay a couple bucks for Listella just because he'll be on the the more majority side of the platoon, and I do think he'll hit higher than 250 that we saw this year. I think he's more of a 275 280 type guy mm-hmm. uh, just based on what he's done in the past and sort of the type of player he is but yeah okay. the interesting thing what they did with Goslin, of course was that they actually started using him at third base and shortstop as well so he's got right. he may have eligibility in those leagues uh, he's, he's going to have the eligibility in both positions in yahoo next year so he'll be uh, yeah, essentially that's... all around the infield so if he's getting playing time then he becomes real interesting mm-hmm. But if he's just sort of their super utility infielder and platoon guy with no power and no speed, that, that's no one that I'm going to need to know the name of even. Yeah, that's a good point. And, and yeah, I mean, the upside is such with these guys that it's like, I mean, you're basically you're playing you're paying for playing time. And so, like, that's already a sketchy proposition for either of them. Um, but I, I, I always find that, I mean, those those bids are ever they're just as intriguing to me they're just as intriguing uh, they should be to to players in and only leagues that like once you get into um playing time is not a category but for all intents and purposes in in an only league is uh, basically it is a category because that uh, the playing time has has a lot more value there so that it, it is an interesting situation to see how that evolves at least for those folks who are the roster fillers who are looking to gain advantage. I mean, if you end up with a very cheap time with Estella, that could that could turn out to be a big thing for you. And some people where they might not have interest, or even and and a Goslin as well. Um, and I'm glad you brought up the eligibility thing as well because that reminds me. I did want to mention too, and we talked about Chris Davis on the last program. Uh, you know, and I and uh, uh, a uh, reader made an excellent point that um, Chris Davis will be eligible at third base next season. 
uh, even in, <clears throat> in pretty much all leagues because he played uh, 19, he started 19 games at third and played 21. So uh, unless you have some really wacky eligibility rules, uh, he actually should qualify there uh, going into next season. And that does kind of change things quite a bit because first base has become in a way kind of a, I mean, it's, it's a little bit more of a boring position, but third base is uh, really not so much anymore. It's a, it's a, it's a position that is a little more difficult to navigate in recent seasons and, and uh, it makes the kind of the intrigue and the interest in, it may also drive up interest for folks who are bidding on Davis. So that's something to keep in mind, but that's a reader made an excellent point. Just wanted to, to point that out that, uh, that does change the dynamic as far as Davis goes in the coming in the next season. If you believe in a rebound, um, adding that third base eligibility is going to change the dynamic of that going to drafts. And it changes the upside for the better, but also maybe, maybe it even increases perception to the point where more people are willing to give him a chance to. So it'd be interesting to see. Uh, Zach, any other, any, anything else you want to mention about it? specifically second baseman, but anything else, maybe you just want to tell us about how your goldfish are doing or something. I don't know. <laughs> oh, I think the one thing I should add with Chris Davis is, uh, the way we do our rankings uh, and the way we adjust for positions when we look at overall values is it's something that is always being fine-tuned and looked at so we do a little bit better. Because if you looked at the way they turned out this year, uh, the way we categorize players and the way we look, we've done studies on how many players each position get drafted and things like that, uh, Davis would have been the same value at third base this year. He would not have become any more valuable just because there was some decent back-end third baseman this year. It may not have been great up top necessarily. It may not have been great in the middle even. But the way the values come out is because there was there was quite a bit of talent sort of at the bottom of the position that Davis would have been pretty much exactly the same, a uh, dollar or two difference at most. Wow. And that's that's so that's quite interesting. Something to keep in mind uh, going forward. Maybe it doesn't matter. And maybe that's something I mean, and I think projections will probably feed into that. What for better or for worse, because maybe uh you know, maybe my projections say, oh, man, Davis actually is a great third baseman. And I turns out I'm totally wrong because I'm way too optimistic about Davis. But <laughs> uh, maybe the third base thing doesn't really mean that much at all. Um, relatively speaking, well, uh, I think it'd be interesting to see. Uh, and I think that is going to do it for this episode of The Sleeper on the Bus. But uh, just to give you, Zach, what, which position? Uh, not that there's too much mystery to this, but which position shall we be looking forward to next week? Uh, we'll run out third baseman next week. Outstanding. Outstanding. Uh, uh, so that clears it up the, the mystery for any of those folks who were saying, well, what position comes after second base? I know that there were some who weren't sure. <laughs> uh, be looking forward to that and uh, and to getting you back on the program again soon. I think it was, uh, it's it's fun to have you talk about these guys as well as, uh, you know, because you're way smarter than him. Don't tell him I said you said that. <laughs> I said that. Uh, and uh, again, uh, thank you for coming on the program. Yeah, happy to be here. Great. And uh, look forward to having you on again. Again, I, I am Nicholas Minix. This was episode number 175 uh, of The Sleeper and the Bust. Mm-hmm.